This is Spain and Fitz. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spain and Fitz podcast, a short solo Spain show tonight. Say that five times fast. So here's a couple of our favorite segments, plus a special digital-only interview with U.S. soccer legend Christy Rampone. Happy Friday! So happy to welcome in three-time Olympic gold medalist, World Cup champion, former U.S. women's national team captain, Christy Pierce Rampone. And, I mean, the longevity of this career, 19 World Cup matches, which is tied for six best all-time, 22 Olympic matches, more than any U.S. player just multiple decades spent at the top of the soccer sport. Uh, Christy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Well, you got a new book out, and I'm curious, because you retired in 2017 after an incredible mm-hmm. career. Um, you played in a World Cup at the age of 40, which is remarkable as someone who's near that age. We won't have to say specific <laughs> numbers. but And I think back that like the last time I really, truly competed at the highest level was like college, and, and then my body promptly fell apart. So that that's unbelievable. You clearly have many secrets, but this book is not for the 40-somethings. It's, it's for the kids. It's called Be All In, Raising Kids for Success in Sports and Life. What made you want to write this? Yeah, well, after my retirement, I've been you know in the coaching field for about 20 years in youth, and I coached at the professional level, and just having a little bit more of awareness when I retired about the culture and the climate of like youth sports. So I just wanted to give back in some, some aspect because I can't coach too many kids. So the best way to like reach everybody was to help um, guide them through a book. Now, would you say the culture is significantly different than when you were coming up or do you just see it differently now as an adult and a former player? I mean, I'm sure the pressures were, were there when I was younger. I actually didn't feel them to be honest. Um, but just now as a parent and a coach, there's just so much riding on winning and scholarships and playing in these elite teams and spending a lot of money that I just wanted to, you know, make people aware of obviously going through the the whole experience from youth to college all the way to professional that like there's more to sports than just winning and hopefully the kids can develop and learn and trust the process. And then if you're good enough, you'll make it. But, you know, we don't need to put added stress and pressure on these kids. Yeah, it's sort of a weird catch-22 of, like, in women's sports, you want to advance them to the point where people can make a real living playing them and where mm-hmm. the, the focus and, and the investment is there and the, and the TV and everything right. else. But once you do that, there mm-hmm. is that expectation of, oh, this can get you out of uh, the current economic status you're in or can get you fame or influencer status or whatever it is. So right. there's this push for that, but then also the, the, the uh, obviously takeaways, too, can be negative. Yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, to be honest, I didn't have a lot of money growing up and I played multiple sports and I didn't travel out of state to play, you know, other opponents. So I lacked that opportunity. However, you know, being able to play multiple sports, I went to college on a basketball scholarship. So everybody's path to success is different. And I ended up playing, you know, for my country for soccer. So it was just the fact that I developed and I learned. And that's what I was trying to give back throughout this book is that, you know, everyone develops at a different stage and there's a whole mental side to sports that I think a lot of parents are missing and just to help guide them so that if they do get the opportunity to be able to play in college and then they're on after in professional sports, that they're ready and prepared and they can stay there. Christy Rampone with us on Spain and Fitz. Your book is with uh, sports neuropsychologist, Dr. Christine Keene. And I mm-hmm. love the idea of taking your personal anecdotes and stories from your uh, career, but then partnering them with actual neuropsychological principles and clinical studies so that there is that science backing. For me, as someone who's sort of a science 
nerd, not in the sense that I loved <laughs> studying science, but when I want to believe and understand something, I really like the proof of studies and tests mm -hmm. and you know, the smart folks telling me here's why you need to, to develop this connection between your mind and your body and, and everything else. Uh, what was one of the things you learned from Dr. Keene when you were writing the book that kind of blew your mind? Maybe something that you'd put into practice without understanding the clinical backing behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I thought it was crucial to add her for that mental side and, you know, learning that the brain's not truly developed till you're 26 and the fact that decision making and... <laughs> Tell that to everyone who got married before 26, play. right? I feel like that needs <laughs> right, to be important exactly. info for people running to the altar at 19. <laughs> no offense right? to the I happy couples out there that started young. <laughs> <laughs> right there with you. Yeah. And, uh, no, I just thought it was just, it was crucial and realizing that it kind of, you know, it took a step back and like, you know, realizing what these kids are going through and they're making a lot of career decisions when they're, you know, choosing to what colleges they want to go to or, you know, maybe just are they going to play one sport and, you know, hopefully the parents are there to help guide them and, you know, not really push their interest on their children, but just be there to um, show the interest to them so they do pick the right sport or if it's multiple sports one, but just being there to, to help support their kids through this process. Cause it's, it's not easy. It's hard to be a sports parent these days, but you know, you have to just trust um, and establish that process with your child. I'm curious, what's the biggest issue you hear from either young athletes or their parents? Um, just the, the pressure to, you know, be a pleaser in a way, like a parent pleaser. And, you know, they think that winning is everything and winning is the only way to, to get to success. And, you know, I always tell parents and my athletes that like winning is a byproduct of developing. And if you don't develop, you're going to be cut short in your success. So, you know, the winning at, you know, from age five to like 13 really should be more about developing and winning is maybe a great moment in the game and not necessarily the score line. And like realizing that every game you are you're truly trying to get better and you're learning from your mistakes. And it's hard for parents because they're uncomfortable watching their kids make mistakes and they're uncomfortable with their kids losing and crying and being upset. But that's part of the learning process. Chrissy Rampone is with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about her new book, Be All In, Raising Kids for Success in Sports and Life. Abby Wambach wrote the foreword, and Dr. Christine mm -hmm. Keene, a neuropsychologist in sports, uh, wrote alongside it. Um, it's already a number one new release in children and youth sports on Amazon and has been featured in a couple places. So congrats on the early success. Um, I think it's, it's, it's probably something a lot of folks can read and um take a lot away from, especially parents now. And I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm hearing moments from Abby's book, Wolfpack, moments from Abby's wife's Glennon Doyle's book uh, about mm -hmm. the, the ways that we like raise our kids and, and what we teach them about um, carrying on and soldiering through. And I love that Glennon talks about how she wasn't into the soccer. And then once Abby introduced her kids to it, she realized how much they didn't carry on and how much if something was in their way, they were like, all right, guess I'm not going to do that then. And so it's funny <laughs> as athletes, how you look back and realize your whole life is spent failing, picking yourself back up, you know, losing a game mm -hmm. and, and coming back and how for a lot of people, that's not a natural way to go through life. It's sort of like you hit a barrier and you just quit. Uh, so I love right. all the, these messages that sports can provide. You know, you were a part of top level soccer for two decades uh, before this interview. You mentioned that your fiance is coaching in the NWSL between the NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team success and the fight for equal pay. What do you see when you look at the current landscape for women's soccer? Um, positive, like consistently moving forward. I think the women are doing a good job, not only in the product on the field, but also using their voice off the field. 
and making um, it aware of the differences between, you know, a female and a male sport. And, you know, awareness leads to change. And the only way to do that is to open up and make everybody aware of um, the differences. And I think they're doing a great job. And, you know, as long as they stay true to themselves and continue to stay focused on that commitment on the field and not allowing those off-field distractions to get in the way to continue success on the field, I think, you know, they're headed in the right direction. So speaking of that Louisville NWSL team that's going to, mm-hmm. I think, starts competing next season, right? Yes. 2021. Yes, 2021, and, you know, they'll, they're working on the expansion draft in November. So uh, do we think an Angel City FC thing's going to happen down there? Are we going to get a big bunch of celebrities uh, uh, tying Absolutely. into that ownership? Are you, are you in on that? I'm, I'm there to support in any way I can because I'm just excited to be back in the game more yeah. on like a hands-on way through, you know, being there to support my fiance and just, you know, the opportunities girls have with these expansion groups coming into this league and just the facilities and the atmosphere is truly amazing. I got chills when I walked on their, their game field and now their practice fields. It's truly what the girls deserve, you know, from where I was professionally and what they're going to experience is such a major difference so it's just exciting to see it continue to grow. What happens at home with with the fiance if he's making decisions you don't agree with on, <laughs> on the on the pitch? Are we chiming in oh. with your expertise? Oh, absolutely. I'm always I'm always giving <laughs> advice. I don't know if he's going to take it all the time, but I'm always uh, as any female, I'm going to throw my two cents in there. Nice. I love it. Well, congrats on the book. Be all in raising kids for success in sports and life. And thanks for giving us a couple minutes. Thank you so much, Sarah. Appreciate it. Spain and Fitz. That's right. My buddy Mike A back there in the control room. He never misses a Friday. He walks around singing quietly to himself, Friday. Friday. So I just <laughs> wanted to make sure he got a little bit of Friday fun uh, here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Lots to get to in this quick segment here of NFL news. And starting out with a little straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Breaking news coming from Adam Schefter. Looks like Tom Brady's going to be in the zone more going forward now that he has another top wide receiver to throw to in Antonio Brown. Get in the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. That's right. No Seahawks. Antonio Brown and the Bucks have already reached an agreement on a one-year deal, per sources telling Adam Schefter. The language still has to be finalized. Of course, he has to pass COVID protocols, but likely to make his Bucks debut week nine against the Saints. And he's headed down to Tampa Bay now. Uh, this is what Schefter had to say before the the deal was made official. But a lot of good info in here about kind of how this came together. And now that Tom Brady's in Tampa, I think that he's helped push this along to where the Buccaneers are bringing him in. Antonio Brown is flying right now to Tampa. He's going to land tonight. He's going to visit with the team tomorrow. There are some steps to go through. But they are definitely working towards an agreement. And... It's interesting because I think Seattle has been interested all along in monitoring the situation. I think the Seahawks thought that there was a good chance they could get him because Russell Wilson was pushing for him. And I think that's really the best thing that Antonio Brown has going for him right now. He's got Russell Wilson and Geno Smith pushing for him in Seattle. He's got Tom Brady pushing for him in Tampa. And they have helped generate enough interest from those organizations that Antonio Brown's going to have a landing spot. And the reason that it's happening now, Hannah, is because he's eligible to be reinstated after week eight. We are going into week seven. So they want to get this done now so he can go through COVID protocols, so he can pass through that testing, so that he could be ready to play as early as week nine. That's why this is happening right now. 
And Adam Schefter's right, of course. The thing he has going for him is those quarterbacks that were standing up and saying he's earned another shot. I want to have him in my mix. And if you're good enough, you'll keep getting chances. Uh, we went through this yesterday. I'm not going to repeat myself. I think it's at least better with the Bucks. That sort of island of misfit toys already. There's not as much of a likelihood of disrupting something great as what we see with that Seahawks offense. Um, but, man, what was it? One game between Tom and A.B. last time, and, and I, I think – the fact that he's not providing the paperwork necessary to advance some of the lawsuits. And uh, the guy that we saw last season was not a guy that was going to be suited and helped by being in an NFL uniform, and the teams were not going to be helped by him being in their locker rooms. We will see if things have changed. I think this is a very risky move for anyone, even a Bucks team that's looking for a little uh, little punch-up there. Some Saints news as well. Both of their top receivers out this weekend against the Panthers. Michael Thomas now out with a hamstring injury. In addition to that pre-existing ankle injury, there was expectation that he would be back um, after he'd already missed time for that ankle sprain and then the practice altercation where he punched a teammate. Lots of hope that he would be in the lineup, but no, now this new hamstring injury. And then Emmanuel Sanders now out after testing positive for COVID-19 on Thursday. So no Drew Brees, um, Magic probably uh, coming from from that game. I'll, he'll have to get real creative without both of his top receivers on Sunday. And there were already so many questions about the Saints and just how good they are and just what Drew Brees has in the tank. Uh, that only going to make things tougher for him. The other big game I'm keeping an eye on this weekend is the, of course, matchup between the two unbeaten teams in the Titans and Steelers. And I said this on Around the Horn, but I was really going with my gut on this one. I, I have a feeling about this Titans team. And after the Steelers faced just some kind of eh teams in the first four weeks, they blew out the Browns. That was their first really solid win that made me feel more confident in them. But there was something about the Titans that was really grooving. Then I started looking at some of the statistics, and I got a little bit worried about this just matchup-wise, right? We obviously know how much the Titans depend on Henry and that run game, and the Steelers' defense is the second best in the league by DVOA and the top run defense in the league. They also allowed the lowest completion rate on play action since the start of last season, and we know that the Titans have an NFL-high 47% of their passing yards on play action since the start of last season. This is a lot of strength on strength, and... As far as the Titans are concerned, one of their strengths is not defense. They do not have a good defense, and this Steelers offense has scored more than 25 points in all five of their games this season. That's the longest streak to begin a season in franchise history for that team. Steelers are coming in hot on D, hot on offense, and as much as I like what the Titans can do to you offensively, that defense is going to have a big task in front of them. They have not been good at getting to the quarterback and getting pressure, so Ben Roethlisberger is happy to see them come in, give him a lot of space and a lot of room. And I'm not alone in this. Uh, Ryan Clark, ESPN NFL analyst, was on Greeny with Mike Greenberg and said this, about this weekend's matchup? You know what? I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I think it is going to be close like that, I do believe they make it extremely difficult to run. And I believe that zone on the back end, especially now that they're using Mika Fitzpatrick more in, you know, more in the mess. He's, he's, he's down in the underneath coverage. He has opportunities to make plays. And I believe offensively, the Pittsburgh Steelers have the advantage over the Tennessee Titans more so in the other direction. When you look at, you know, you look at games Jacksonville, the uh, Houston Texans, you know, they've given up points. They've been in these tough battles with teams that I don't believe are as good as the Pittsburgh Steelers are on offense. Now, part of that is getting a look at the Titans when they have a full week of rest, when they don't have COVID complications. You remember, of course, that this matchup was supposed to take place weeks ago. The original Titans COVID outbreak 
forced this game to be moved to this week seven slot, which took away this buy from the Steelers and bumped their buy up to that week three or week four. Is there any lingering frustration from Pittsburgh about how an outbreak from the Titans that had nothing to do with their team affected their schedule? Does that come into play at all? Are they coming in with a head of steam because of anger that's lingering for the Titans? And what does that mean for the Titans in terms of they got two big wins in games that maybe we didn't expect them to because of long layoffs, because they weren't fresh, because they couldn't practice together. How will they look when they get back to sort of a regular schedule? Something to keep an eye on. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight, leading you up to World Series Game 3. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You can always hit me up at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz on Twitter. Also, something to think about as you're watching this game today, and I think this is a fascinating stat. So entering this matchup between the Titans and the Steelers, every time that two unbeaten teams, 5-0 and or better, have met during the Super Bowl era, the winner of that game has made the Super Bowl. So of the five times that two 5-0 and or better teams have met previous to this weekend, the winner of that matchup has gone to the Super Bowl every time. Now... There is still such a team as, I don't know, the Chiefs <laughs> that might be that might have something to say about that stat. But can we make it 6-0? Does that mean that the winner of this Titans-Steelers game will earn a spot in the Super Bowl? Something to keep an eye on. Pretty big matchup uh, between those two teams. Uh, Christy Rampone is going to join us after the show tonight. So since we've got such a packed uh, 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 schedule here, trying to get all these football stories and baseball stories in, uh, she joined us pre, pre-show, pre and we're going to put it in the podcast, the Spain and Fitz podcast. You have to subscribe to get all sorts of digital-only content, which includes this interview about her new book. Here's a little teaser. To be honest, I didn't have a lot of money growing up, and I played multiple sports, and I didn't travel out of state to play you know, other opponents, so I lacked that opportunity. However, you know, being able to play multiple sports, I went to college on a basketball scholarship, so everybody's path to success is different, and I ended up yeah. playing – you know, for my country, for soccer. So it was just the fact that I developed and I learned. And that's what I was trying to give back throughout this book is that, you know, everyone develops at a different stage. And there's a whole mental side to sports that I think a lot of parents are missing. And just to help guide them so that if they do get the opportunity to be able to play in college, and then they're on after in professional sports, that they're ready and prepared and they can stay there. So more from her on the state of women's soccer, obviously a legend, multiple-time gold medalist, World Cup winner. Um, We talked about the Olympics, and we talked about the NWSL, and uh, good conversation with Christy Rampone. She's a legend. So make sure you subscribe to Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You can do that on Apple, iTunes, ESPN app, all that stuff, and you can get that extra exclusive stuff. Spain and Fitz. The reactions... To Antonio Brown signing with the Bucks on a one-year deal, coming in fast and furious. ESPN's Adam Schefter, the first to report it. After his suspension ends and he goes through COVID protocols, he'll likely debut with Tampa Bay in Week 9 against the Saints. I asked y'all how many games you think Antonio Brown will end up playing for the Bucks. I didn't give you enough options. I should have said fewer than four, somewhere one to five. But in the end, 39% of you said one <laughs> 29% of you said eight games plus the playoffs. 
15% said just the eight games remainder of the regular season and then they're out. And 16% said zero. He will somehow, between now and when he would anticipate to get on that roster, uh, mess something up or be further suspended or something else. Also, I love uh, Levitard show reminding us that back in March, Bruce Arians said there was absolutely no way that they would sign Antonio Brown. So a little Pinocchio knows on that one. And then Randy Scott, I need a 30 for 30 on what the hell happened in Tom Brady's house when Antonio Brown lived with him. Don't want. Need. I think we all need that. We all need to know what the heck's going on there. But uh, we'll keep you updated on Antonio Brown and all that good stuff. It's Sarah Spain, Solo Spain, closing out a short Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, taking you into Game 3 of the World Series. But also this weekend, in addition to the NFL action I talked about earlier, we have a big UFC card, Nurmagomedov versus Gaethje in a title unification bout, streaming on ESPN Plus, pay-per-view. It's UFC 254, and no one better to talk about it than ESPN MMA analyst, host of DC and Helwani on ESPN Podcast. It's Ariel Helwani. What's up, Ariel? My old friend, Sarah Spade. And isn't this <laughs> funny that here I am coming on to talk about cage fighting when there's this big NFL news, and probably deep down inside of you, you're thinking, oh, I wish we didn't book Ariel right now so we can keep talking about this silly NFL news. I don't know if you want to address the elephant in the room. I'm happy to address it if you're down. Okay, I'll address it. I mean, there I was over the summer co-hosting with you, thinking things are great. You get this new <laughs> show reunited with Jason Fitz, and I don't hear from either of you guys for three months. It's the first time I'm on the show. Quite frankly, I feel used. I feel a little bit like, you know, I'm yesterday's news as it pertains to this show, and now mm-hmm. all of a sudden this news happens when you book me. And I sort of feel like you don't want me, if I'm being honest. Well, I mean, here's the thing. What happened was we hosted together a number of times, and pure osmosis uh, affected my knowledge. And now I am such a UFC expert that it felt felt superfluous to have you on. It's two experts at the same time to break down UFC. I don't don't even need you. I clearly know a ton about Nurmagomedov and how, you know, he wants to potentially get to 30-0 before retiring. This would put him at 29-0 with a win over Gaethje. And the fact that nearly anybody would want to be fighting Conor McGregor for the kind of paycheck they could get, but not these two guys because they want to take on each other. This could be one of the best cards we've ever seen. Wow. Nailed it. I mean, you nailed everything except uh, the young man's name. It's Nurmagomedov. Um, Okay. Well, listen, there's a lot of different interpretations. Yes, yes. And the first name is Habib. uh, But he is, look, if you're looking for something to do on Saturday, and let's be honest, there's nothing going wrong, right? I mean, like, I heard Big Ten maybe coming back. Who cares about that? College football, who cares about that? Saturday afternoon, tomorrow, less than 24 hours, 2 p.m. Eastern, special start time, 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus pay-per-view. We will see the return of the most dominant fighter in the history. Yes, I said the history of the UFC. No one has ever started their career 28-0. and 0. He has won 12 straight in the UFC. He has only lost one round in those 12 fights, and that was round three to Conor McGregor. And there are a lot of people, including myself, who think that Gaethje, Justin Gaethje, will be his toughest opponent to date in the UFC. Why? Because Justin Gaethje is a former D1 wrestler in northern Colorado, great off his back, great takedown defense, but most importantly, he has tremendous power in his hands. And there's obviously a lot of pressure on Habib to extend that streak. He's talked about wanting to be 30-0. and 0. Fortunately, his father passed away earlier this year due to complications from COVID-19. They had a pact that he would make it to 30-0, and 0, so he's sort of doing this in honor of him. It's, it's a good story in that regard, but uh, don't take Justin Gaethje lightly. I know you'll be watching around 4.30 when they make the walk. I know everything will stop in the same household when this fight's <laughs> about to start. 
I'm going to be there. I'm flying to Yas Island. Oh. I wouldn't miss this. Are you kidding me? I'm going to be ringside. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, do you guys not do the old gimmick where you say Yas and then you play Well, the, the, you know the what? Big... We've got a skeleton crew, and I didn't want to challenge uh, them too much by demanding all of the Yas drops, so I'm just going to do it myself. Yas Island. Yes. Um, Ariel, I'm curious. There was a longtime nutritionist who seemed to imply that there was an error in the weigh-in process when yes. Nurmagomedov uh, weighed in on Friday. you think there's anything to that? See, this is why I love coming on your show, because when I go on the other shows, they hit me with, like, the surface level. You, I mean, you you heard about this somehow? I don't even know I how prep, you man. heard about this. I do my prep. Man, <laughs> I'm impressed. Well done. Um, yeah, so Mike Dolce is his name, uh, a very well-respected nutritionist in the sport, and he put out this video talking about Habib's weigh-in earlier today. So the weigh-ins happen at 1 a.m. local time here on the East Coast, 9 a.m., over in Abu Dhabi, and uh, Habib was actually the first one there. So they get two hours to show up and weigh in. They could show up at 9, 9.01, or 10.59. He was the first one there. So everyone was thinking, all right, that's a good sign. I mean, first one, that means he's good to go. He doesn't have to cut any more weight. Now, historically, he's had some issues cutting weight. He gets to the scale, and it's very clear that he's a little bit tired, a little bit out of it, a little bit anxious, asks for the towel, which means he's going to drop his shorts. He's going to go naked. You don't see him naked. They wrap the towel around him. And then the guy who's manning the official, the UFC official who's manning the scale, I got to say, like, I've I've seen a lot of weigh-ins in my day. This was the most bizarre one. He didn't even let the the weight thing settle, right? Like, it was actually moving up to the top. And he's like... (laughs) <laughs> yes, of course. It has to like be in the middle. And, and, and he's like, yep, you're good to go. And everyone was like, wait a second. He wasn't really good to go. Now, mm-hmm. I want to see the fight happen. Everyone wants to see the fight happen. I know you want to see the fight happen. But if we're being honest, I don't know why they don't use digital scales. I mean, it is 2020. Why are we using the scales that my parents you know, used to go to their doctor? Uh, it's a little bizarre. But I do believe part of the reason why they use those scales is because they can sort of you know, play around with it. And if there's a digital number right in front of you, it's hard to do that. Right. Interesting. Oh, so you're alleging it's intentional tomfoolery. I was going to say perhaps there's concerns that digital ones are more easily, uh, you know, askew and not and not accurate. Uh, but you're you're alleging that perhaps that way they can fib their way if someone's not quite where they need to be for an important fight. Errol Helwani, always bringing you the good stuff. ESPN MMA analyst, host of DC and Helwani. Hey, you were tweeting with The Rock. Uh, what's going on there? And maybe is that why you haven't been around this show much? Because you got big time? So this is the thing, Sarah. I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of like on this meteoric rise at ESPN. <laughs> and you had hitched your wagon to me, and then you right. just kind of dropped me. And so I'm like, all right, if Sarah wants something to do with me and, and Jason sits and goes, I'll just go talk to Dwayne. You know, right. uh, that's how I refer to him, Dwayne. And, uh, you know, we're very tight. Uh, he's been on my show once before last year. And uh, he continues to tweet at me. I don't, I don't engage with him. He tweets at me. He wants my insight. And, uh, you know, here we are going back and forth. So, look, if you, if you want to rekindle the friendship, I'm open to it. But I do feel like we have a little work to do. Yeah, and you have a very busy schedule now, hanging out with Dwayne as often as you are. Right. So I'll have DJ, to... Dwayne, DJ, Dwayne, whatever you want. Donald, even, you know, a lot of the family members. Or Douglas, I should say, middle name Douglas. A lot of people call him that. Uh, uh, Ariel, enjoy the fight tomorrow. Uh, you know I'll be texting your head off with details. Uh, you know, so just wait. keep an eye out for that. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Same time. Thank you. Errol Helwani, uh, of course, always check him out before the big fights and always listen to uh, DC and Helwani catch all of his MMA analysis. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive celebrating eight years of donating cars to veterans in need. Learn more at keys to progress. 
MMA.com. Don't forget tomorrow, that fight UFC 254 is in the afternoon tomorrow, streaming on ESPN Plus and pay-per-view.